0: You are listening to The Third Turn Podcast with your host, Kristen Evenson, a consultant and coach trained in the neuroscience of change, and Mark L. Vincent, founder of Design Group International and the Society for Process Consulting. Today's conversation features Scott Rodin,
1: who is a theologian, seminary president, organizational and leadership consultant, and the author of The Steward Leader, among his many works.
2: Hello, everyone. We want to welcome you to episode 27 of the Third Turn podcast, and I want to welcome my co-host, Kristen Evenson. And Kristen, before we do anything else, you are in the middle of recruiting a cohort for Maestro Level Leaders. And the way we're doing this is putting you in a lot of conversations with people who are considering their own participation. And I'm just really curious here, are there any themes that are coming up as you're talking with people for the first time?
1: Yes. I mean, first and foremost, Mark, I love these conversations. I love people who are even curious about the cohort because it speaks to a really meaningful conversation and some definite shared values. So any conversation has been super fun and meaningful. But some themes that come up are most of these leaders are wondering or starting to think about what's next, both for their organization and for them as a leader. You know, in some cases, I I talked to a nonprofit leader who has worked really hard to stabilize her organization and is now starting to think, okay, who now, you know, what next and what does that look like for her and for her organization? Talked to a couple business leaders who are actually right in the throes of working really hard to commercialize a new offering and some innovative things. Um, And even in the midst of that, they're already aware that on the horizon, There's a what next kind of forming. So it's leaders that are very intentional about what has been, what is, and kind of what will be. And there's really a shared desire amidst all of that for support and resources. Some have been missing a sense of camaraderie in this intense season. Some are more intrigued by a sense of camaraderie. But all that I've talked to share a deep desire to be intentional and responsible with their organization's future and their own.
2: And so Kristen, if uh, someone who is interested in this would like to talk with you and wants to know more, how do they get
1: started? I would encourage them to please visit maestrolevelleaders.com to kick off a conversation. And even just getting acquainted is a great first step.
2: Yeah, it is, isn't it? Because then you have relationships with people who are in similar situations and Mm -hmm. whether or not it's participation in Maestro Level Leaders and one of its cohorts, It hooks you up to a larger community. And it's really special to be a part of that.
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely.
2: So thank you. And Scott Rudin, let's welcome you into this conversation as our guest today. Scott, there's so many things that we can say about who you are and what you've done and the life that you've lived as a theologian and a seminary president and director and president of national associations and the work that you do now in resourcing so many organizations in their board leadership and in how they approach fundraising and how they think about leadership development. So we could go through that great Bing long litany. We could go through the big bibliography of all the books that you've written. First and foremost, in my mind, always is the book The Steward Leader. It has had such an impact. But when you find yourself just introducing yourself as Scott, you know, those elements beyond the resume, can you tell us who Scott Rudin?
0: Wow. Yes. Well, thank you for the opportunity. And Mark and, and Kristen, great to be with you on this podcast. This is a real blessing for me. I hope it's a blessing for everybody that's listening. Um, uh, I think the way that I would most want to be either introduced or known is just under the the moniker of a fellow traveler. And you know, we're all on this journey together. And it doesn't matter title or background or resume where Jesus has us all on this journey. And we're just traveling together. And so if we can help each other, support each other, we all face uphills and shale side hills, and we slip and we fall and we have victories and we have challenges. If we can do it together, if we can travel together, if we can just see each other on that same journey, that's what I want to be on. And I, I just would love people to think about me as just somebody that's walking with them. We're doing it together. Um, we all have We all have uh, the scars and the joys of this life that Jesus has us on, but he constantly calls us deeper into greater intimacy with him. And if we can help each other to achieve that and accomplish that and live that out, then let's uh, let's lock arms and get on the path.
2: Well, you use the analogy of a path and being journeyers or pilgrims on this path. So as I think about it, our paths have intertwined a bit over the years. And I'm sitting here looking at you on camera right now and just admiring the fact that you haven't changed. You've got that same mustache and all of your hair. (laughs) And I have changed considerably with no hair and a white goatee now and all of that. So you've weathered those storms and your scars so much better, I think, (laughs) in ways than I have. But one of my strongest memories of you, and it has really shaped me and some of my thinking, uh, was the moment in your life when you modeled this maestro level form of leadership with the former Christian Stewardship Association, uh, helping to recover the mission of that organization and move it forward and then stepping a way so that others could lead. And I, I'm just wondering if you could give us a highlight reel of that story, because it's such a great model for what we're after when we talk about maestro-level leadership.
0: Well, yes, thank you, Mark. And I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly hesitant to ever lift up any of my leadership as a model for anything, because I think we always see all of the warts and the scars and the things that happen in our hearts and spirits when we're in a leadership position. But I uh, will talk about some of the great things I, I, we saw God do. In that particular situation, Christian Stewardship Association had been around for for a couple of two three decades, I think, uh, and hit a a huge snag in 2001. If we can all remember 9-11, what happened Mm -hmm. then, uh, that that event took place uh, a week before our annual conference. And we were uh, an organization that lived and died by the revenue of its annual conference. And so we hit a real challenging times. Christian Stewardship Association was a wonderful opportunity for people that loved talking about fundraising from a really biblical kingdom perspective to come together and have like minds and to talk and do papers and all the good things you do when you do these little conferences. So the question of the future was really there. What, where's this going to go? And I was on the board and the board asked me if I would step into the, the leadership of the, of the Christian Stewardship Association and see if we can't figure out God's direction for its future. So I was happy to do that. I I think one of the things that made the transition successful is we really did see this from a stewardship perspective, which I guess you should do when you're leading this Christian Stewardship Association. But we needed to hold it really loosely and say, Lord, we don't know what you have for the future of this. We don't know if it's even gonna survive, but we think it's really blessing people. So help us and help us to see what we do with it. And in the midst of that prayer and in the midst of the board and, uh, and myself and some other people that really tried to hold this loosely, we had an opportunity to come alongside what was then the Christian Management Association, who were kind of doing the same thing. And the leader of that came and met with our board. You probably remember that meeting, Mark, and said, why are we doing these things separately? Why don't we merge and get together and do something bigger than the two of us can do individually? And we decided after thought and prayer with all of that, there was some, there was some loss in it. Because you lose your name, because you become some part of something bigger. So there had to be a sense of giving up, again, stewarding, opening your hands up and saying, Lord, if this is the direction, we don't need to hold on to this and have our name and our title and our little conference. Uh, and after some time and prayer and working with them, we decided to walk that journey. And as you know, the, the two organizations created the Christian Leadership Alliance. And CLA now is probably one of the, the largest and most uh, respected uh, leadership. Uh, nonprofit development organizations in the country. And Tammy Himes doing a phenomenal job leading that. So CLA came out of this time of two organizations that wanted to do something bigger than they could do individually. And we as an organization needed to give up our name and our, our, our way of doing things and try to come underneath a larger vision of really what we could do together Uh, and of course at the same time i worked myself out of a job which was just fine uh it wasn't my wasn't my long-term career but you realize when you go into this that there's no longer going to be a csa or a president so uh again it's just some things you need to hold loosely and let let god go where god's going to go back to the journey thing right get on the journey follow him be as obedient as you can and then let him take care of the outcomes and I, i think you did that in a in a pretty powerful way with with cla
1: Scott, that story speaks uh, to values in you of humility and certainly stewardship, um, prayerfulness, open handedness, and, and definitely responsiveness to the spirit. So it makes me curious about how you were formed as a leader to hold these values so beautifully in service to an organization. Would you be able to share with us some key moments of your own journey, maybe with the backdrop of turn one, turn two, and turn three?
0: Well, many of the things that I've written, especially if you reference The Steward Leader, our latest book, "Set Free to Lead, they both begin with the same story. And it's the story of a, of a look back that I was asked to do back in 2002. When I left, uh, I was nine, uh, nine years at Eastern Baptist Seminary in Philadelphia, served the last five of those as, as president of the seminary. And after I left and looked back, I was given an opportunity to do a kind of a retrospective and. So what did you learn almost exactly the, the question here that're you're, that you're asking, Kristen? Hmm. and I really kind of did a mea culpa. Uh, I looked back and said, I was wrong more than I was right. I failed more than I succeeded. Now you know I hopefully when people look back at my tenure, they'll see a lot of great things that we accomplished, and I feel very good about what happened there. Interestingly enough, I left there having merged or led a, a merger of the seminary with Eastern University to, to be to become their graduate theological school and once again worked myself out of a job. But I did realize that in my heart, in my spirit, there was a lot of things that I wish I'd have done a bit better. I wish I would have had a better attitude an approach and understanding of the whole leadership enterprise in which I was involved. And so I looked back and, and found several places where I came into leadership with a certain perspective on what good leadership looked like and found out in the process that I was wrong and I needed to change my paradigm for what it means to be a leader in the body of Christ working for kingdom outcomes. And that really began my journey toward the steward leader and all the rest of it. So uh, just a few things. One of them is that uh, as a leader, we live and lead out of this this idea of two kingdoms, a very important theme in everything that I write and, and speak of. Where we understand that the things we want to hold on to, the things that we want to control, the things where we believe we're responsible to bring outcomes, we're responsible to make things happen. Uh, Every time we have those in our lives as leaders, they put us in bondage. They're not a sign of great leader. They're actually a sign of what the enemy uses against us to keep us from being a great leader. Hmm. And I didn't realize that going into this. And now that I see that, I wish I would have named those things in my second kingdom surrendered them back to Christ, back on this journey, and lived more into this idea of being a steward leader. It was a very deep personal thing. I know the first turn in in, in all that we're talking about is this idea of learning to lead yourself. And I learned that I couldn't be a great leader in an organizational setting until I understood what it meant to be a, a completely surrendered steward in my personal life. So that, that began this journey. And as that worked internally, now you get in a chance to lead others and you begin to lead others from the perspective of being a steward, which means that I don't have to be in control. I don't have to have all the great ideas. I don't have to get all the accolades. And I don't have to believe that, that the success of this organization is on my shoulders so now i have the opportunity to live into other people lift them up celebrate them encourage them equip them watch them rise other people can have better ideas than me i can have champions around me i can have i can have e- eagles soaring around me if you will and not be threatened by it all those things that i that i struggled with when i was uh, back in that that role because i hadn't learned yet the freedom of being a steward in this, in this kind of a situation so learning to lead others as a steward and not as an owner where things can go outward and not have to come back to me, that was a huge moment of freedom in my development. And I think in the third one, you know, thinking about the future, this is a crazy chaotic time that we're in right now. I think most people I talk to, most leaders I talk to, most of my fellow travelers on this journey are trying to figure out what is what's my role in this day in the midst of all the things that are happening around me. I mean, this is an historic moment And as followers of Jesus, as people that are put in leadership positions, I think we're all kind of asking for such a time as this, that that can be exciting. That can also be haunting, you know, to believe that you and I are in a leadership position right now for such a time as this, in this crazy moment in history. Why? Why does God have us right now where we are? And and to me, it's that idea of of thinking about leading with a future value in mind, which is that, that third turn. And I would just come back to say that I don't think there's ever been a time where the, where the viewpoint, the heart, the attitude of a steward and not an owner is more critical to leaders today. It allows us to believe that we don't have to answer that question. What we have to do is believe that God understands that question. We know that God has us here for a reason. Our job is to be faithful in discerning how he wants to use us and doing it with freedom and joy, and letting him take care of the outcomes. That, I think, is an opportunity for freedom and effectiveness in leadership that is so important in our world today. So it's a little bit about my journey, where I've learned, where I've come, how I think it fits into kind of these three moments, these three turning points, if you will, the whole uh, maestro level leaders, and I hope it's an encouragement for people out there that are trying to figure out what should I be doing today or what kind of an impact should I be making? Or am I missing a huge opportunity you know, that God has put in front of us because I'm living in these very odd, chaotic times? And I would just say, let God answer that question for you by being faithful, by listening, by discerning his will and his way, and then being obedient in whatever it is that he would call you to do.
1: Scott, you obviously uh, focus on being a steward leader, but I would say in everything you've shared, you are clearly also a student of um, as a leader and your ability to hold the both and the both end of the, this kingdom we're in and and the heavenly kingdom, as well as, you know, your your helpful contributions. And you've mentioned, you know, your warts and leadership, kind of the the good, the bad and the otherwise of your own leadership. You just you really articulate being a student of leadership um, but let's shift now to talking about the steward leader. Uh, You've certainly written a seminal book on this subject. You've developed a variety of tools and created personal development experiences that help leaders walk in more fully into this kind of a leadership. What's been the experience that you've seen as, as leaders have moved along this journey path?
0: Yeah, thank you, Kristen. Well, this is going to sound kind of odd, but one of the things that encourages me is when we look at what seems to be a significant increase in leadership failure, Uh, when we look at the purposes and the reasons behind that, I do believe that people who have been called on this journey of becoming a steward leader are finding that this is a key for them to keep them from going down that same path. just real quick, we do a lot of work with leaders, a lot of uh, coaching and and training and development with, with Christian leaders. When we come across someone who's had a significant failure, whether it's a moral failure, an ethical failure, burnout, just flat out burnout, their marriage is falling apart or they've completely lost confidence in what they're doing and all the rest of the things that happened to leaders out there. Well, if we can help them trace back the origin, maybe kind of where things began to un- unravel, where things started to go wrong, if they can think back to a time when they didn't feel this way and now they do, what, what that transition might have looked like. I am always amazed at how often there is one thing that we can identify in the journey of a leader that starts them on this downward spiral. And that one thing is at some moment, the pressures and the expectations of the job robbed them of their time of going deeper in their intimacy with Christ. Now, just think about that for a moment the challenges of the job, all the expectations, all the the success metrics that are placed on leaders today by boards and by donors and by other people around them, even even their own team members, they responded so much to those pressures that what they gave up were all the disciplines in their lives that kept them in this deep intimate relationship with Christ. And what happens is if if we stop relying completely and totally on God for our provision, We will fill that vacuum with our own skills, experiences, and abilities. And there you go. You're on the you're on the downward spiral now it's up to me now I've got to be the great leader now I've got to make things happen and if I've got to make things happen we begin to tie our identity then to the successes of our organizations and people become means to our own ends and I mean everything we talk about in the book just it's just this is spiral and it's literally sucks you down this road that you, it's, it's incredibly hard to get out of and when I describe this spiral to leaders, they look at it and they go, Oh my gosh, that's I, I where I am. I'm on, I'm on the third step or the fifth step or the ninth step. Uh, and they go back and they say, um, This all started when I began to re- believe that this was up to me. So, what I love is when we help people walk through this journey of becoming a steward leader, it brings them back to the core. It brings them back to the center of understanding that all they really are called to do as leaders is to know God's will and to do it obediently. And therefore, faithfulness becomes their, their greatest goal in, in what they do. We watch that happen when we, when we take leaders through this. And the impact, what I love too about this, the impact is not only on how they lead. And we'll hear leaders talk about the fact that they ne- they've always been threatened by people around them. Or they've always felt, uh, you know, the pressure on themselves to, to make the organization successful. Uh, or they've always seen the people that they have as theirs. You know, these are the pastors talking about. These are this is my congregation, or these are our donors, or these are our people, or those are our programs. Don't mess with our programs. And they were able to turn that over and just see that it's all it's all God's. It's all part of the kingdom. They they see this freedom in the way in which they lead and, and view their organizations. But it goes beyond that. One of the early aha moments we had when we were walking people through this is they would come back and they would say, you know, the biggest impact this whole thing has had has been on my marriage. And I would just go, really? And they would yeah. I started to have my, my spouse sit with me and go through this and watch the videos and talk through this together because I realized that I was an owner in my marriage. Or I had an owner attitude toward my children. I was trying to own and control my children. How many of us have done that in our life? Um, or, or in any role that I take on, I'm always grabbing for control. So the freedom comes at this deeply personal level at, in every part of life. And then we take it with us into our leadership role. And we're able to see how we can help bring, you know, bring other people along, lift other people up. It's just a transformational process from beginning to end. So I think that's how I would say what we've seen and what I've heard from participants who've engaged in this process.
1: Wow, Scott. So I, that harkens me back to something you said earlier, you know, for such a time as this. So in this this time of major change and disruption, you know, kind of outside of ourselves that we're living in and this need for a leader to stay to continue to do their internal work and the intimacy that keeps them grounded and rooted. Do you see leaders being more awake to that kind of internal reality in this time? Or or do you feel, do you see them being surprised even in this context we're living in, or especially in this context we're living in?
0: That's a great question. I guess I would say there's, there's a little of both. Now, let me put this in the negative side. There's, there's a growing awareness that so much of what we have labeled as leadership training and leadership studies have, have, in a sense, kind of failed to raise up generations and generations of world-class leaders. We do have to ask that question after almost, what, 100 years now of professional leadership studies that we don't seem to have this overwhelming number of, of world-class, incredible leaders. Instead, there seems to be as much of a leadership crisis today as there's ever been. Why is that? So people are, are, I believe, stepping back and saying, maybe we need to think about this from a different perspective. And so when you talk about this idea that for a Christian leader, intimacy with Christ is the core from which everything else flows, they sort of get it. They go, "I maybe I've never heard that before, but I get it. Um, I mean, Kristen, we talk to boards. And say to boards that when you do your your evaluation of your CEO, or when you're doing your support and encouragement of your CEO, the the single most important question you will ever ask the CEO of your organization is, you know, how is it with Jesus? You know, I mean, how are you doing in that in that level of intimacy? Because if they lose that, everything begins to flow from it. So in a sense, there's awareness right now. I think that this is this maybe is a critical missing piece to why I'm struggling so much as a leader or not been able to see the fruit of my leadership at the level that I would like to be able to see it. On the other hand, because we're under attack, because Christian leaders are in in an unprecedented season of of attack from all kinds of different sources, it does continue to push us back on ourselves to try to figure out what's going on. And it can overwhelm a leader to the point where, again, they, they sacrifice. That intimacy with Christ. I've talked to so many leaders that just say, I don't have time to to have that that kind of deep personal connection with Christ because I have so many other important things to do. And that is a priorities response. See, they do have the time. We all have the time. Uh, The question is, we're, we're prioritizing doing over being. We're prioritizing getting things done over over letting God work in us. One of my favorite phrases in this is that we spend so much time doing things for Jesus that we have no time left for Jesus to do anything in us. And when we hit that point, we start the downward spiral. So your answer to your question, I do believe more and more people are beginning to wake up and say something's got to be done differently. And I'm hoping and praying that they'll see this as uh, the starting place for a different understanding of leadership.
2: We are in a conversation with Dr. Scott Rudin, who wrote the book, The Steward Leader, and is the founder of The Steward's Journey. We'll return to our conversation with him in just a moment.
1: Are you a leader or owner who's beginning to think about how and when and what succession might look like for you in your organization? If so, Maestro Level Leaders was designed with you in mind. This peer-based leadership journey helps leaders set aside intentional, proactive time to explore and map what succession, sustained organizational success, and legacy looks like in each leader's unique life and organizational context. Our next cohort kicks off this October and is forming now. So if this sounds helpful for you or someone you know, and you'd like to learn more, please go to maestrolevelleaders.com and complete the form there to initiate a conversation. We are talking with author, consultant, and experienced steward and maestro-level leader, Scott Rodin. Scott, a key aspect of the maestro-level leadership is that this third-turn moment when a leader sees themselves stewarding, becoming a steward, moving more deeply into the future, developing future values, succession, continuity planning, legacy. You mentioned your work with boards earlier. What do you find yourself needing to emphasize the most when you're talking with boards and executive leaders at this point when they're facing into the future?
0: Yes, thank you for that. I was reminded of, we've all heard this quote. I just love it so much. I have to give it again. It's actually an old proverb that says, uh, societies flourish when their old men plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. And to me, that such a model of, are we planting trees in whose shade we will never sit? That's what I'm trying to help boards and and CEOs think about when they look into the future. What what might that look like? Well, there's a few aspects to that. I think, once again, they have to grasp the fact that they don't own or control it. We cannot control that future. So we are. this is a faith journey from the very beginning. And it's hard to tell a a high-control CEO that no matter what they do, they can't control the future. And so don't try to. The second thing is to separate what God is calling them to do from what will necessarily build their reputation. And that's another hard thing to think about. Sometimes when we look into the future and we think about where where we need to help our organization move toward or, or at least direct them toward, we often get called to make decisions that are in the best interest of the kingdom of God, but not necessarily in our own best interest. How will leaders respond? How will boards respond when those two things hit up against each other, when they're called to make hard decisions? And I'll give you one very specific example. When we do strategic planning, we help organizations look and think about where they're going. We often find them at a moment where they need to decide whether they're willing to let things die. And letting things die is an incredibly hard thing to do for for nonprofit organizations and churches. They need to let programs die. They need to let um, attitudes die. Sometimes they need to move uh, personnel on in those situations. There are sacred cows within organizations. I mean, all kinds of things happen in the life of a nonprofit and a church that keep them from moving into the direction God wants them to go. And I would say the same thing. I'm sure you probably have business people that are in the for-profit world. Exactly the same thing. So are we willing to let things die that God might rise up some new things in their place? That's, that's kind of part of all of this. And then I would say intentionally engaging and mentoring young leaders. We continue to need to be intentional in, in doing this. And I heard a great quote that I just have to share with you. This is, is going to be a paraphrase of it. It goes like this. Youth are not the hope of the future. They are an integral, essential part of the present. Isn't that great? I mean, how often do we hear people say, well, you know, young people are, they're our future. Well, they are our future, but they're our present as well. So how do we today engage young leaders in meaningful, substantive work, listen to them, engage them in this so that they can be part of answering that exact question of where we go forward? Um, I just want to put that out there. It it schooled me when I heard it. And I thought, yeah, I've had that attitude. So that would be one of them. And the last one I would say, we're doing a lot of spirit-led scenario planning, where we really are attempting to seek the leading of the Holy Spirit for looking at different realities that could end up being the official future of our organization. And, you know, from scenario planning, you put together your plan of where you think God's leading the organization. But to be able to step back and to ask some bigger questions about what if, I mean, what if some what if things happen that that are better than we expected? The whole thing about, you know, what if someone walks in and you know, says, what would you do with a million dollars or five million dollars or whatever? Uh, are we ready to embrace a, a greater, more exciting future maybe than the one we can see? And then on the other side, what happens if some of the concerns we have out there in our culture actually come to fruition? How might God use these moments and, and prepare us for that? The more we can look into different alternatives for the future and just know, we don't have to plan for all of them, that would that'd be kind of schizophrenic, but just to know that we can see God at work and how he might lead us through those different scenarios gives us a sense that we have stewarded this moment well. And so those are just some things that that we're doing with boards to kind of help them discern where God is leading, discern where we're going, give up some things, let some things die, give up control, trust him for the future, think about some different scenarios, and really make sure they're, they're listening to and intentionally raising up the voices and the leaders and the people that will take this organization forward.
2: Scott, I'm going to jump in with a question here that goes to leadership theory, because you've written about it a lot. And not to get all theoretical, we just know that people have an underlying theory and they make choices and they live it out. And sometimes those theories are even contradictory. They're they're pretending to be one kind of a leader in one moment and then another kind in another moment. And it might be somewhat thoughtless, but even then there's still this thing underneath it. And we hear people say, oh, I'm a servant leader or I'm a transformational leader or Uh, I'm a situational leader and there'd be other labels we could give. And every now and then a person says that actually having thought about it and made some deliberate choices. But quite often they're just saying it because it's utilitarian. You know, it's something they can Mm -hmm. just draw on in the moment. But even then, they're not just adjectives. They're descriptions of a philosophy or an orienting point that they're building from. So what is distinct here when we say steward leader rather than situational or transformational or servant leader? And how do those distinctions show up when someone is moving into this final big turn of leadership where they know they're going to be passing it off to somebody else who's going to sit under the tree?
0: Well, a couple of things I would say. Um, first of all, you know, in leadership studies, there's sort of this classical question, are great stewards, uh, excuse me, are great leaders born that way or are they made? are there and you see almost all of the leadership theories have tended to follow one of those two directions either they're born that way we need to find the traits and characteristics and personality of certain people and that and those are the people that just by nature are going to be great leaders or we can make them give me anybody i can give them the tools and the techniques uh, and i can train anybody to be a great leader and i think we've seen the challenges of both of those directions because they all end up in some sense kind of imploding when you push them too far down there. So we're actually with the steward leader offering a third option. And what we're saying is that we don't believe that great leaders in the kingdom of God are either born that way or are made. We're saying that we think great leaders in the kingdom of God are set free to be great leaders. And the key is that idea of freedom. So the steward leader in, in a lot of senses, Mark, is not a descriptor of a leadership theory. Or a set of traits or techniques that if you just do these things, we've all seen the books, you know, the 12 characteristics of a great leader. Do these 12 things, you'll be a great leader. Well, you won't. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. You have to remember what number seven is, and if you can't even remember number seven, how can you do it? Right? <laughs> exactly right.
0: I I laugh and I tell people it's like it's like saying to me, you know, here's this here's the ten things that Tiger Woods does when he hits a golf ball. If you do those ten things, you'll golf just like Tiger Woods. Well, no, I won't, because there's a whole lot more to it than just tra- the traits and techniques. There there's a place for them, and some of these tools are really helpful, and I would think leaders need to know them. And there's times when we need to use them, but it's not as a theory a way in which we can take people and help them become great leaders in God's kingdom. So the steward leader is different in that it does not look at what a leader does. It begins with who a leader is. And even before that, and this is probably the most most important thing I can say on this, is it talks about who you are first and foremost as a follower of Jesus. And then it takes the transformation, I believe, that God wants to do in our hearts to help us leave behind our ownership and embrace his call to be a steward of life, as we, if we take that on in our personal life and we watch it transform everything in our life, which it does, it touches everything in our life. When we decide that we don't want to live as owners in control anymore, we want to be faithful stewards of all of life acknowledging it belongs to God. When we do that in our personal life, then what happens when we get called into a position of leadership? But well, we walk into it with a different vision of life, and therefore we're going to have a different vision, a different worldview of what it means to lead from the perspective of being a steward of everything. And now I'm, I'm working out of the core of, of not only who I am, but who God is continually shaping me to be, because the call to be a faithful steward is a lifelong journey. It, it's going to take us the rest of our lives. We're still going to be on that journey, trying to give up of the old and step into the new and all the rest of that. So what we try to do in the steward leader is help people make the personal transformation first, to deal with their stuff on a personal level, and then ask the leadership question. Now, how do you lead as a person on this stewardship journey? And what does that mean for your relationship with God, for your relationship with yourself, your identity as a leader, for your relationship with all the people around you, all the people you work with, peers, peers? the board above you, the employees below you? And what does it mean for all the resources you have available to you, the time and the talents, the treasures, and even the earth itself? Um, It impacts all of that. But we can't do it in, in terms of saying, well, here's the five things you need to do to be a steward leader. We need to say, first of all, here's what the work God has to do in your spirit to help you become a faithful steward. And now when you move into leadership, here are some ways in which You're looking at leadership through the lens of a faithful steward are likely going to impact the decisions you make and the ways in which you lead. And in that, if there's techniques and tools that can help leaders, we definitely want them to take advantage of that. But I would say that's the biggest difference, the most significant difference between other leadership theories and this very fundamental idea of what it means to be a steward first and then to lead as a steward
2: leader. Thank you for that, Scott. And for all of you who are listening in the summary blog for this episode, we will be putting in several links to the book, The Steward Leader, and some other works that Scott has written, as well as to The Steward Journey, so that you can learn more about that. And we look forward to your interacting with that material. And if we can be of any help in connecting you to Scott's work, please let us know. Scott, whenever we interview someone, we like to ask them our turning point questions, so we're going to shift to that now. And I have known you for a while, and I know you have a variety of interests, from hunting to fishing to hiking to house design and construction and uh, loving the development of other people. Are there any one of these interests uh, that you've pursued of particular fondness for you? It's a great self searching awareness question to
0: ask. And I enjoyed actually the opportunity to sort of go back and think that through. I think in in what I've been able to do, what I enjoy the most, what I get the greatest joy and pleasure out of really comes out of my writing. Um, I love to I love to speak and teach and preach and, and that's that's very that's great. But I, I I I enjoy writing. I enjoy taking thoughts, ideas and concepts and getting them into a, a format that I'm hoping and praying People can uh, they can resonate with they can uh, it can touch their spirit and the God can use to help them on this journey. So I think of all those the roles that I've been able to be involved in, I think that author and writer is probably the one that I that I cherish the most.
2: So if you were to set aside all of the things that you've done, including what you cherish the most, is there anything out there still? If you had had the opportunity to pursue it of time and opportunity came your way that you would have pursued
0: uh, yeah again a great question to ask and as i look back on my life and think about that it would have probably been music i had periods of my time when i uh, played guitar played other instruments played in a small uh, folk band actually in four years in scotland while we lived there i loved to sing i always wanted to to learn to play the piano
2: hmm.
0: and i think i think playing Playing and enjoying music and being much more a part had that being much more of a part of my life is probably something I wish I would have pursued more. And I kind of laughed at myself and thought, Ah, who knows? Maybe when I turn seventy, I'll take up the piano. But uh, maybe, maybe you should. Maybe. Yeah. maybe I should. I can see yeah. you
2: doing a Victor Borga impression, you know, <laughs> falling off the piano bench. Well, Kristen, I'll turn it to you for the next question.
1: Yeah, Scott, I bet this will be good. What is a leadership lesson you wish you'd learned earlier?
2: Yeah, that's, that's very easy
0: to answer. A couple of years ago, I was asked to give a commencement address at a, at a Christian university. And it was all around the idea that, you know, if you could go back in time and sit next to yourself at your college graduation, learning everything that you've learned in life, what, what one thing would you say to yourself? And I, it's a really good question, especially uh, for people that are maybe in their uh, 50s and 60s and 70s. What's that one thing you would looked at, at yourself and said, you know, don't miss this? And for me, it's crystal clear. It's crystal clear. I would have looked at myself and said, Scott, be careful how you define success because it's going to drive everything you do. Mm-hmm. And that's a lesson whenever I get a chance to speak on college campuses or to young people, that's the number one lesson I try to give them. Your definition of what success, your success in life looks like will now determine everything you do in life, how, everything. So be careful you know what that is. And then I challenge them further to say, uh, if if our if our definition of success as a follower of Jesus is is one word if it's faithfulness then you are on a trajectory that will have massive impact not only on you but on every life that you touch out there if you choose a definition of success that is productivity accomplishments amassing wealth comfort happiness all the other things the world is telling us is really what success looks like. That's going to drive everything you do. It's going to have a huge impact. Um, and I wish, I wish I would have known that. I wish I would have come out of college and said, I'm going to define success in my life as whether or not I am being faithful to whatever God calls me to do. And knowing what that is, that would have sent me down a different path earlier in my life. I think I'd learned it much later in life. Wish I'd have learned it a lot earlier.
1: I feel like I keep learning that. That was good for my 60-year-old self to hear. Thank you, Scott.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We have one final question for you here, Scott. Uh, As a writer, you're constantly writing. But when you read, what would be a current book you've chosen? And why did you choose it?
0: Well, I happen to have it with me because I'm working my way through it. It is a book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. And it's a it's a very thick book, and uh, it is a challenging book, but it is it really is exegeting our current cultural challenges, chaos, dilemma, whatever you want to call it, and giving some really clear thoughts and ideas on how we navigate this as the body of Christ. I, I like Carl Truman. I've read a couple of other things that he's done. This is his seminal work. I'm not getting anything back from this, but I would really recommend it. It's a challenging read but the rise and triumph of the modern self, almost a history of how did our culture get to where we got to today? And by understanding how we got here, can we understand some of the foundational things that have happened that we can maybe begin to address as we move forward? I love that kind of reading. It gives me a whole new set of lenses to kind of look at what's happening in the world around us.
1: Scott, thank you for your time and thoughtfulness and the insights you've shared with us today. It's been... Enlivening for me, I'm sure for us, and I have to believe for all of our listeners, so we are very grateful. This is the Third Turn Podcast. I'm Kristen Evenson, and Mark L. Vincent joins me in hosting these meaningful conversations. Josh Brinkman engineers our sound, and our producer is Jennifer Miller. If you would like to explore being part of the next Maestro Level Leaders cohort, please visit maestrolevelleaders.com to kick off a conversation. The Third Turn Podcast is a production of Design Group International, and you can learn more about DGI as well as its blogs and podcasts at designgroupinternational.com backslash resources. As we say farewell for today, we invite you to subscribe and share this resource with other leaders who, like us, care deeply about third-turn leadership that's focused on future value, succession, and legacy. This is for our grandchildren's grandchildren.